tuned into the Recovery Innovators Radio Show, your access to today's best addiction recovery ideas, tools, and experts. Listen in and you will learn what is and what isn't working today. We want you, your loved ones, and anyone you know who needs a helping hand to find success in recovery and live the life they deserve. And now, here's your host, James Healy. Hey, this is James, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 13. I'm here to help you turn your addiction recovery challenges into successes and freedom from everything that's keeping you from living the life you deserve. I check in with innovative addiction recovery experts, and we get to hear directly from them what is working today for addicts in recovery, for their families, their friends, and maybe we can help provide some industry insight for other experts too. Now, in a recent study, researchers from the Washington University School of Medicine found that nearly 75% of men and 67% of women are overweight or obese. And obesity has been linked to a number of serious health problems, from heart disease and diabetes to sleep apnea and depression and death. That's right. According to a U.S. Surgeon General report, obesity is responsible for 300,000 deaths every year in this country. That's quite a few. Harvard School of Public Health calls it an epidemic of obesity because even more alarming, one out of three children are overweight or obese. Early obesity not only increases the likelihood of adult obesity, but being overweight is at least partly responsible for the dramatic increase in the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, formerly called adult onset diabetes, among children. They had to change the name. Now, is sugar toxic? This was the question posed by CBS News program 60 Minutes recently, and the answer was a resounding yes. And not only is sugar toxic, it is also addictive, according to the experts interviewed for the segment, and some even call it the true gateway drug. Do you struggle with overwhelming food or sugar cravings? Well, you are certainly not alone. Also, have you managed to get sober, you know, quit drinking or doing drugs, only to find yourself downing pints of Ben and Jerry's, bags of M&M's, and donuts by the dozen? This, too, is also very common. Now, my guest today has some fascinating insight into why this is all happening, this mega addiction to food and sugar. She is a psychology professor, a brain and cognitive scientist, and an expert in the psychology of eating. She is the president of the Institute for Sustainable Weight Loss and CEO of Brightline Eating Solutions, a company dedicated to helping people achieve long-term sustainable weight loss. Her program utilizes cutting-edge research to explain how the brain blocks weight loss, and every day she teaches people how to undo that damage so they can live happy, thin, and free. And she has also written a soon-to-be-released book, Bright Line Eating, The Science of Living Happy, Thin, and Free. Please welcome Susan Pierce Thompson. Hey, James. So good to be here. Okay, so like, wow, this, this obesity epidemic and sugar addiction thing and everything really feels like it's kind of spiraling out of control what's what's going on you know it is and i i think um because we're starting to talk about it a lot i i and there are things being done i feel like um maybe people have some level of comfort around that but it's it's not getting better it's getting worse and at the current trajectory you know right now a third of americans are obese at the current trajectory by 2030 a half of americans will be obese and you know a third of every baby born today is going to grow up to have diabetes. Um, you know, the, we're just the money we're spending alone. I know you talked about all this in yeah. your intro, but um, 
Yeah. I mean, so what's going on basically at the, at the core, not, you know, in a nutshell, the way we've processed and manufactured foods today turns them into addictive drugs. And, um, we're not factoring that in to right. our solutions. Um, we're, we're just not taking adequate account of the addictiveness of the food that's around us. And um, so hence, the solutions we're trying are just nowhere near potent uh, enough. Yeah, definitely. Now, before we dive into how your Bright Line Eating works, I want you to tell us just quickly how, what led you to start this, this global movement now, like you're really reaching far and wide. How did you end up on your path to helping people in this area? Oh, well, you know, through a lot of suffering <laughs> of my own. Uh, that's how um, we all end up there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, right? You beat your head against the brick wall long enough, and if you figure out a way to stop, you know, you feel compelled to show others who are beating their head against the brick wall how to stop. Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, it's been a long, long path. Uh, my path started with... You know, I think I first became aware of being unhappy with my weight when I was maybe 12 or 13 years old, and um, I weighed uh, more then than I mm -hmm. do now. Um, and, uh, you know, my weight kept climbing. As a teenager, I did, you know, some adolescent explorations with drugs, and I have a very addictable brain, so I got hooked. And I got hooked. It's noteworthy to me that I got hooked on the drugs that would um, – take care of my weight problem and help me to not want to eat. So the drugs that I got hooked on were crystal meth and cocaine and ultimately crack cocaine. Uh, oh, oh, and uh, Ultimate diet drugs. <laughs> ultimate diet. Well, crystal meth is the ultimate <laughs> yeah. diet drug. You just, I mean, it completely eliminates any desire to want to eat at all for days. It's There's nothing like it. Um, and, um, yeah, and I, I lost weight on those drugs. I also went psychotic and dropped out of high school and burned my life to the ground. Um, and there were times when I couldn't put a sentence together, I couldn't read, and I was thin and I didn't care. Um, wow. So happy just to be thin. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was um, the goal. You met that goal. Right. Yeah. And um, so I got clean and sober when I was 20, um, and I'm 42 now, so that's 22 Yay. years ago. Yay. And um, and I knew that I would get fat when I got clean and sober. And I did. Um, I, I whacked on a whole bunch of weight really fast. And, you know, somewhere in my first year of sobriety, I was sitting there in my little one room rented, you know, my my, my rented room. And um, it was four in the morning and I had pots of um, crusty, you know, old uh, like I'd finished the pasta in the pot and the pot was still there with the fork in it. And there was an empty pint of ice cream in front of me with the spoon still in it. And it was dripping, but it was empty. And there was, you know, an empty bag of candy there. And, and I was looking around at the empty Taco Bell wrappers Ugh. and I'd been up eating all night long. And in between eating, I was smoking. So I was going outside <laughs> smoking a cigarette. And eating more. And then eating. Uh -huh. And, and I sat there with all those wrappers around me, and I thought, I am not sober. Right. I am not sober. This is not sober behavior. Right. And um, so I ultimately became obese, um, and I tried 12-step programs for food. There are lots of them. I tried lots mm -hmm. of them, and there are lots of different ways to sort of configure the 12-step food journey. And I was involved in lots of different ways and over the years had some success, sometimes not 
success and helped people sometimes and wasn't fit to help anyone at other times. And ultimately, I did lose all my excess weight in 2003. Wow. Um, and that was great. I've been in a size four now since 2003. Wow. So that's 13 years. That puts me in the top because I used to be obese and now I'm slender. Like my BMI is whatever, 19 or 20 or something. Um, that puts me in the top one, one hundredth of 1% of successful weight loss maintainers. Like almost nobody who, who hits obesity is going to own a right size body for longer than 10 years in a row. It's just almost unheard of. You got like a one in 10,000 shot. Of yeah. Doing you're, that. you're probably the only and, person uh, I know. So, <laughs> I know so many people who've dieted and struggled over the years, <laughs> my friends and family. And I don't know anyone who's really have found success over time. Well, it's interesting that you should send us a bright light meeting because we're a dime a dozen where I come from. <laughs> right. You know, everyone. Now. And, um, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because even the Institute for sustainable weight loss, no, no, sorry. The, um, no, got getting my institutes right. mixed up the national weight control registry. Um, so there is a registry in the United States that tries to track people who have succeeded at the weight loss game, but the rules for getting in the registry are pretty loose. So you only have to have lost 30 pounds and kept it off for a year. Oh, okay. So you could go from 400 pounds to 370 pounds <laughs> and keep that off for a year and get in the registry. So you have to look deeper at their data. These are data from James Hill from the University of Colorado. And uh, I think there's another professor involved from Brown University. I haven't met her, so I forget her name. But anyway. Um, there's a, and there's a lot of people who yeah, could do that. Look. I think I saw there was almost 4 million Americans over 300 pounds. Yeah, that's wow. crazy. Yeah. Over wow. 400,000, over 400 pounds. <laughs> it's getting worse and yeah. worse and worse. Yeah, so anyway, um, anyway I feel like I've yeah. kind of veered off track here. But but basically, just to get back yeah. to my story, um, I spent a good chunk of my life. Um, oh, after I got clean and sober, I went to school. Um, I went to community college. I transferred to UC Berkeley. I did well there. I was, you know, I spoke at the graduation could, when I graduated in 1997. I got a full ride to get PhD. I got my PhD in brain and cognitive sciences. I did a postdoc in Australia in psychology. And I ended up as a tenured psychology professor teaching the psychology of eating. Oh, wow. And I put a pretty heavy, hard-hitting unit on the neuroscience of food addiction into that course. This was, you know, um, I guess from around 2008 or 9 up until 2015, um, 2014-15, there was a lot of research coming out on the neuroscience of food addiction. And uh, so I was teaching that at the college level. And you know, in my private personal life, I was helping people by the scores, by the dozens, by the, you know, not quite by the hundreds, but but right. a lot of people um, helping them to lose their excess weight. And I, you know, I was privy to like a, a formula, like, like it was formulaic. I was helping people mm -hmm. do it and to to do what I'd done and what I'd seen other people do. And um, so one day I decided to write a book on this. I, 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 um, I don't remember exactly what happened before this, but what I do remember is in my morning meditation, the universe just put it on my heart to write a book about all this and and to really share with people what the roadmap looks like to losing weight and keeping it off forever um and how you like how you can undo the wiring of the brain that's that's keeping people so trapped and so stuck um 
and uh yeah so that's that's the book the, the book that's coming out yeah no, it's, it's great and then so you are you're focused mostly on people addicted to food now there's people who struggle with with food and sugar at all different levels though i mean there's the huge binge eaters like yourself who are in in the room with the brownie batter and but there's other people who just yep. you know they gain a little weight and they just can't get it off no matter how much they try weight watchers or whatever other diet thing there is and i i would say that some of those people would probably benefit from these strategies too Yeah. And, you know, that's actually one of the insights that I think is really critical is that there is this continuum um, that food addiction is not a binary distinction. And, you know, the 12 step programs for food addiction and compulsive overeating, they really kind of um, are premised on this idea that there's a binary distinction, figure out whether you are a food addict or you are not, whether you are a compulsive overeater or mm -hmm. you are not. And what I realized through all these years of exploration is, you know, not really, actually, that there really are gradations here. And so um, I, I developed a scale to sort of put to put some measurement mm -hmm. to that. Um, it's called the susceptibility scale, and it measures how susceptible someone's brain is to the pull of addictive foods, because um, not everyone's equally susceptible at all. And as a matter of fact, some people simply are not susceptible. And it's one of the things I think that that people misconstrue when they think about addiction is they really assume that if something's addictive, that means everyone who partakes will get addicted. And that's not what it means at all. I mean, we know alcohol is addictive, but not everyone who drinks becomes right. alcoholic. Um, we know that opium are addictive, but not everyone who goes home after surgery with a Vicodin prescription becomes a hope to die right. pillhead. Um, and so there are certain brains that when they get exposed to addictive substances, um, get stuck in this loop of, of more, 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 more. And there are other brains that never enter that loop. And, and, and it's a gradation. It's, it's not an all or nothing thing. Some people are more in the mid range where, um, addictive substances have heightened reward salience mm -hmm. for them. And for example, the addictiveness of chips and pizza and ice cream and all of these foods might make them just eat a little bit more, which over time will lead them to be overweight mm -hmm. or obese, mm -hmm. but they're not, they don't relate to being a food mm -hmm. addict, but unless, but if they've got a health concern or a weight concern, they're going to have to face even that small amount of addiction in their, you know, in their, plan of action in order to be successful. If they ignore the, even that slight addictive component, they're not going right. to be successful. I, if it's negatively impacting their life in some way, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be complete bottoming out <laughs> in, in right. those sense of words or whatever, but right. it can just be... Yeah. It might just be eating two pieces of pizza instead of one, you know, um, on a regular basis and boom, you know, you're 20 pounds overweight. It doesn't have to be, you know, what I was describing, the, the middle of the night, <laughs> right, you know, binge. Right. No, I, 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 yeah, I see this so often. Well, the pizza is a great example. It was, it's something crazy. Like how many people in this country eat pizza every day? It's like a really high percentage of pizza eaters out there <laughs> it's like it's so easy you know well, or at least once a week i think it's 30 percent of americans eat pizza at least once a week so it's just out there and you get it wow. so and it's good you know? so. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. 
Um, so you really focus on then how the brain kind of blocks these signals, right? You really get into this um, with your bright line eating. Can you tell us a little more about how the neuroscience and and kind of the food and nutrients all tie in with, the, with your brain keeping you from you know, yeah. not eating that second piece of pizza? Yeah, I talk about the, I talk about it in mainly three ways. I talk about willpower and how willpower works mm-hmm. in the brain. The short version there is that it doesn't. Is <laughs> <laughs> that you've got to develop a plan of eating that's going to assume that your willpower is not going to show up for you in the clutch situation because that's basically how willpower works in the brain. It's in the anterior cingulate cortex and it's it's easily depleted by all of the activities that we're doing more of in modern life, um, including things like making decisions, which is essentially what checking will, uh, checking right. email is, you know, all these decisions about, am I responding to this person or filing this email or deleting it or replying, replying all, replying now, replying uh. later. And we're stuck making all these decisions, regulating our emotions in traffic with our kids. And all of these things we're doing are depleting our willpower um, and what that does is it leaves us without mm-hmm. any, um, at the critical minute, moment when we're making a food mm-hmm. choice. And so that's kind of the insight there is the way willpower is wired in the brain. It's a finite resource. It runs out. Um, and there's no real, um, there's no real gas gauge on that. There's no way to know that your willpower has left right. the building. So, um, so this is why you know we wind up with a piece of pizza in our hand on a friday night you know we're like well let's just order out even we've just you know pinky sword with our partner and signed the papers and paid the money for the diet program and we're supposed to be you know blah 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 on friday night here we are having pizza we don't know why we made that decision so i help people understand why that decision happens and and i help them understand that they've got to adopt a plan of eating that will um, basically take over for willpower, that you never want to be relying on willpower, which basically means you never want to be making food choices in Mm -hmm. the moment. You want to have your food choices pre-planned and you want to focus on automaticity as much as possible. We're talking about getting food choices out of the willpower part of the brain and into the habits and and automaticity part of the brain, um, which is what's responsible, for example, for most of us, for us brushing our teeth so right. regularly. Um, about 95% of people manage to achieve this amazing feat, which is they brush their teeth twice a day, no mm-hmm. matter what. Um, and they, they're not choosing to, they're not, they're not um, making a good choice to to you know prioritize dental hygiene over 10 more minutes of sleep um their their automatic brain is actually just taking over and getting it done without a choice ever being made and um that's how we want to wire our food choices in so that's uh that's what i teach people how to do is actually to 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 construe the whole eating system in a totally different way so that eating the right thing at the right time is as automatic as brushing your oh, teeth oh yeah that willpower goes away in the evenings for me, and also yeah. if I'm hungry and in the evening and I'm shopping at the store or even just stopping in and yeah. getting gas, the convenience store is basically a sugar store. And you you walk in <laughs> right. and you're just surrounded yeah, just, by. <laughs> yeah, like the. Like the the um the what like the auto parts store is every store has a, an aisle of candy now right by the yeah. cashier I I've noticed that like 
wait a second, you're selling horse feed <laughs> and here there are candy bars. By the I'll get one. <laughs> wait a minute, you're selling tires and there's candy bars by the cash register. Anyway, yeah, they've figured yeah. us out that, that we're susceptible at that at that odd moment. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so. Okay, and so yeah. we talked about the willpower gap. What else? Uh, the other two systems I talk about are um, dopamine and uh, leptin. Okay. So dopamine is um, the dopaminergic system in the nucleus accumbens, also the ventral tegmental area. This is the reward center, the pleasure center of the brain. So we talk about reward, pleasure, addiction, motivation. It's all this one circuit. And um, it's, it's, it's the part of the brain that basically made sure that we were motivated to go get food, to go get sex, to do, the, to do those basic things that ensured our mm -hmm. survival at the most base level. It provided the motivation to go do that. And um, that's all great until you get to modern society and now you have stimuli on board that are way out of proportion for how that part of the brain, you know, right. developed. And um, we've now got pornography and we've got donuts, <laughs> which I think of very much in the same category. Right. And they're artificially produced stimuli that are way more potent than the brain evolved to handle. And so when you flood that part of the brain with that kind of dopamine, which is what happens, basically flood. you get this flood yeah. of dopamine, um, which, you know, in one sense, the brain loves. In another sense, uh, it's smart and it recognizes that that amount of stimulation is overboard and it's excessive. And if you keep flooding the brain with dopamine like that, it, it will downregulate the dopamine receptors, meaning it will thin them out. It will make them less receptive. It will make them less numerous. And um, now the challenge is you've rewired your brain. And if you're not flooding it with dopamine, you don't feel right. You feel depleted and bleak and itchy and uncomfortable and kind of vaguely panicked, but you don't know why. And everything seems uh, kind of awful. And you have to you have to get that dopamine back on board to feel normal. Right. And I think that's what most people are um, missing who don't understand addiction, who've never really been addicted to anything, um, is that the addict is not using to get high. The addict is using to get normal, just to feel okay again for a bit, right. just to get that sort of that deep breath, that ease, that comfort, that just feeling of okayness that comes from getting that system set back to a baseline of good, a baseline of right. normal. Um, it's very hard to live for any length of time without that stimulation if you've got dopamine downregulation on board. So I teach people mm -hmm. about that. I teach them about how sugar and flour are the, the main culprits mm -hmm. there. And I teach them about how if they just go cold turkey and cut that stuff out, um, and get enough support through the process, those dopamine receptors will replenish. Okay. Um, and it is possible to get back to normal without that food in your life. And it's, it's very, very much like quitting smoking. You know, someone who's been smoking two packs a day is not going to feel right when they quit smoking, and it is going to be hard. But there is no way across that bridge other than a bright line. You got to throw up a bright line for those cigarettes, a clear, unambiguous boundary that you're just not going to cross mm -hmm. anymore. And um, that's why my program is called Bright Line Eating. I want to educate people about the role of bright lines in a healthy life. There are certain things that we simply should not be engaging with. And, you know, bright lines are a very 
individual choice. You know, some people need a bright line for their ex-boyfriend, <laughs> for their ex Right. Um, but I, I really empower and encourage people to find where their bright lines need to be and stick yeah, to them. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, that helped me with alcohol. It's like once I made that choice, finally, and, and I decided that yeah. I'm not a drinker, I just don't drink, then it became really simple after that. That's what they do. Exactly. Bright lines make it simple. And it becomes an identity thing. Just like you just said it so powerfully, James. I am not a drinker. I just don't drink. All right. We're going to take a quick one-minute break here. And uh, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about our sponsor for today's show, which is the Addictions Academy. The Addictions Academy is the nation's leading accredited addiction treatment services and sober coaching intervention training academy and uh, if you are looking to get into the addiction recovery field maybe as a sober or recovery coach or if you're looking to up your game and boost your skills for your current practice uh, you can get some new training there they have some amazing faculty and staff with decades of experience and they have some great comprehensive coursework that's going to really give you those tools and resources that you need to to really take your your practice to the next level so give them a call 800-706-0318 or check them out at theaddictionsacademy.com again that's theaddictionsacademy.com and now back to our show So for all the dieters out there, I want you to listen to the language James just used. I am not a drinker. I just don't drink. Did you hear the conviction in his voice? It was so, it wasn't he wasn't like like parading <laughs> it around. It was just like a simple fact of his right. existence. I'm not a drinker. I just don't drink. This is where we need to get to with food. So when someone says to me, which I don't know why, because of what I do, people often feel like they need to like explain or justify <laughs> right. their eating to me, which I think is funny kind of whatever. Anyway, like I'm so not the food police, but anyway, people will say things like, well, I've been really good lately. You know, like I was really good all of last week. And like, like that's not language that shows that the identity shift has happened. Right. Like James, you don't think you're being good with alcohol, right? Like you're not a drinker. You don't drink. It's not a moral issue. It's not like something that you waffle back and forth on. It's become part of you are, you don't drink. And that's what I, I, I help people cross that line with sugar and flour so they're not thinking about their food in terms of their, their, their being good or bad or no, I can't have that because they're on some kind of diet, right? I can't have that is the language someone uses who eats like shit right. normally and now they're like being virtuous or good for the day or the week or the month or maybe right. the year, but probably right. not the year, probably the day or the week of the month. And and they can't have that right now. And at some future point, they're going to go back to eating like shit again because that's who they are fundamentally. Yeah. And I encourage people to, to to think of saying like, I don't eat that. I don't I don't eat that. No, thank you. I don't eat sugar. You know. Um, and I also am in the in like on a mission to educate everyone else around us to support and encourage not eating sugar and flour as a very viable life affirming choice in the same way that I think and. I'd be curious what you think about this, James. Do you think, I think, but I'm curious what you think. Do you think people are, are pretty accepting these days if on New Year's Eve and the champagne is being passed around, you say, no, thank you, I don't oh. drink? 
are people pretty cool with that or do people do people still kind of push it a little bit like come on it's no, new year's no, eve no i don't find anyone pushing it ever and, and maybe it's just the people i hang out yeah, with right. but i find that it's becoming much more acceptable to just say I, I tell people when they're first quitting drinking or whatever to just say tell people you're doing it for health reasons and there's not a lot of pushback on that like if I just say I'm quitting right. I'm, it's just for health reasons I'm making the decision not to drink right now then they can't really force it on you because then it makes them feel like they're they're affecting your yeah, yeah you're, <laughs> they're affecting your good health or, or something like that but I don't know there's just yeah, maybe it's because I'm older. Because There's not I peer pressure, think, but because I do think on Thanksgiving, if you say no, thank you, I don't eat sugar. When the pumpkin pie goes around, people will be like, "Come on, it's Thanksgiving. Right. Can't have a piece right. of pie." Yeah, and I have found this. And, and I am advocating for a society where it's like, well, wait a second, eighty thousand people this year are going to get a limb amputated because they because they have to have that piece of pumpkin right. pie. Like our our rates of diet, like this is not a joke. No. Right. Three hundred thousand people are dying prematurely this year because of this um, way worse than cigarettes, alcohol, you know, car accidents and every other public health risk combined. Yeah, it, it's um, so hard. So, and I think you know, part of it, it, it goes back to what you were talking about earlier, about how people can't stick to those bright lines, maybe for a period of time. But it's really easy to cheat on any sort of diet. And sometimes it's even allowed or go into a full full relapse or, or built in yeah like a free right. day or a free hour or whatever like most diets have stuff where they're even selling it like they're selling one point brownies or they're <laughs> right. selling you know um some kind of protein bars i mean the the whole, whole diet industry is rife with with sugar and artificial sweeteners and flour stuff being built into products and sold as aids on your dieting journey so yeah i mean our whole industry is so far off the the mark in terms of what it actually takes to lose weight and keep it off is yeah. ridiculous. It's not like I have a free day with my drinking. It's like, hey, it's it's Saturday. No. I can drink all day long. <laughs> my free day. I'll be hungover we'll, for the next we'll two days, day. but that's all right. I'm still, you know, I don't, I don't drink. So. So this is how this things we'll take that free day and we'll break it into thirds and we'll put it on friday night saturday night <laughs> sunday night the eight, eight hours right, each, right? Yeah. oh man <laughs> it's just 24 hours well on the path solid sobriety oh, my <laughs> that's what i used to do with my free day for a food program like i would i'd be having a dinner party on wednesday night and i think well my <laughs> free day is sunday but i'm having people over on wednesday night and i really want to cook something good so i'll take half of my free day from sunday and i'll move it to wednesday night <laughs> And then on Sunday, I'll only have half my free day left. But what if I can't stop eating when the half is over? And then I will have broken my plan. But if I exercise a little more on Monday, I can make, make up for it. And, like, that's how my head oh, works, yeah. you know, on those kinds of diets. Just the insanity is just yeah, intense. Yeah, the addicted mind is a, an amazing thing. Talking about um, alcohol, how does this figure into bright line eating? Alcohol is sugar. So uh, alcohol is not only just sugar molecularly, but it's sugar with this ethanol compound tacked onto it, which means it delivers sugar with a dose of bad judgment, <laughs> like sugar with a dose of Double disinhibition, whammy. which is just a really <laughs> yeah. bad thing. So it's going to deliver sugar cravings coupled with lowered inhibitions and increased propensity for stupid choices. So um, alcohol is definitely not on the plan. It's part of the bright line for sugar. Do you have yeah. people push back on that at all? Are they wine drinkers or whatever? And they're just like, yeah. So, so 
they're I wouldn't say they push back because they don't need to push back because I'm not the <laughs> right. Yeah, place. you're like so, whatever. Um, it's your choice. You know, I really invite people to do their own research and to you know make empowering choices for themselves accordingly. So um, no one needs to push back on anything. But I do have people that try incorporating a glass of red wine once in a while with their plan or whatever. And, um, and I'm, I'm watching how that's working for people. And, um, some of the people I'm working most closely with, um, have tried that experiment and, um, you know, because they were never anywhere close to alcoholic, like they were the people who could literally have half a right. glass of wine once a week, yeah. you know, whatever. Those people. Um, it's, <laughs> those people, it's, it's interesting to note how it disrupts their food journey. Like it really does. It's a, it's more usually a slow unraveling than a big bomb. Right. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. not like they're, they're downing two pints of ice cream right afterwards. It's more that they notice that they're, saboteur we talk a lot about the saboteur in our program the the sort of sabotaging self-sabotaging voice that tries to convince us to make you know unhelpful choices um they notice that their saboteur is a lot more active after they have that glass of wine the next day and the day after that and you know because they're awake and alert to it they mostly have decided it's not an empowering choice for them anymore and um, then they'll come back and report to me, you know what? I think I'm giving up alcohol. And I say, all right, sounds like a yeah, good plan. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a good plan. Uh, how about natural sugars in things like, you know, <laughs> I rationalize this one. So if I try to give up refined sugar, I say, well, I'll put a little real maple syrup or agave syrup or something in my coffee. Or maybe I'll eat some raisins right. or dates because they're kind of they're sweet, you know. It'll get my sweet fix. Right. Yeah. So those are all um, out. <laughs> <Darn>. <laughs> um, no. The bright line for sugar extends to everything except whole real fruit. Okay. So whole real fruit in its unadulterated state is fine. We eat um, it with meals. So we wouldn't be eating fruit on its own. We'd be eating it with a meal that would also have some protein, some fat, Uh some other uh, macronutrients to ground out the glycemic load of that meal. So the fruit sugar would never be hitting the brain um, all at once by itself. Mm -hmm. Um, But other than and and whole real fruit comes delivered with the with enough fiber to offset a lot of that glycemic load on its own. Um, there's good research showing that whole real fruit does not affect the brain like sugar or fruit juice or other things. But fruit juice is out. Dried fruit is out. Um, agave, honey, xylitol, stevia, sucralose, <laughs> uh, truvia, all of it. Agave, all of it. It's all out. Um, nothing added to food, food to make it sweeter and nothing um, adulterated to concentrate the natural fructose in any kind of fruit product. It's all out. Um yeah, it's all part of the bright line for sugar. Cool. And then isn't there something in natural foods, I just thought of this, that allows the nutrients and vitamins to be absorbed better than if you're just taking you know, supplements or something? Oh, yeah. There's a great book on that. It's called Whole, W-H-O-L-E, mm-hmm. Rethinking the Science of Nutrition. And, yeah, it's it's really interesting how food – is way more complex than we ever realized. Um, and I wish I had the the numbers here off the top of my head. I wrote a, a little blog article about this, but it was like two, two and a half years ago, so I don't remember it right now. But um, but it was something like um, they there was a, a paper published in Nature, which is the top 
scientific journal in the world. And it was a paper on the vitamin C content of an mm-hmm. apple. And they took, they took 100 grams of apple, which is basically like the flesh of half of a very large apple. And they measured the vitamin C content, and it was almost none. It was like, I think it was six milligrams of vitamin mm-hmm. C, which, you know, a vitamin C right. capsule has like 500, a thousand grams yeah. in it, right? <laughs> 500, 000, yeah. And so it was six, <laughs> six milligrams. But then they had a human being eat that apple, that, that 100 grams of apple, and it ended up having the antioxidant activity in that person's body of like of of like I think several hundred times the vitamin C the actual vitamin C content um, several hundred times it was like a thousand milligrams of activity in the person's body some I forget the exact numbers but it was something like that it was massive and and they were like well how is that possible and the answer is um, synergistic chemical reactions with the phytonutrients and phytochemicals that are present in the apple. There's literally hundreds of phytonutrients and phytochemicals that are present in addition to vitamin C that work synergistically with vitamin C in the whole real food. And so taking like extracting vitamin C and putting it in a pill, even if you're kind of putting dried fruit particles (laughs) in there, it's it's just not the same. Like you have to eat the actual actual food. food. In order to get the benefit, um, so yeah, I I have stopped. And then there's other research showing that people who take antioxidants in pill form have higher rates. This is very well documented. Higher rates of all-cause mortality, higher rates of cardiovascular disease, higher death of higher rates of heart of death from heart disease. Um, and this is from taking vitamin C, vitamin A, uh, beta carotene, um, selenium, all of uh, vitamin E, especially all of the antioxidants. Hmm. Um, it's just actually very damaging to take massive doses of these extracted, isolated nutrients. It's not how the body just works. Get it from from real food. Get it. Okay. From, okay. Yep. How about uh, changes in metabolism? When you age or after having kids or versus your gender, like as we get older, metabolism changes and our food needs change. Yeah, so, you know, I'm really happy to report that we, we've done this research and we are not seeing big effects by age. We, we found that women especially are under the assumption that well past menopause mm-hmm. in their 60s and in their 70s that there's no way they're going to lose their weight and that's not what we're finding at all we're finding that that um we've done um by age and also just across the board men and women we're finding that older people are losing rate weight in mm-hmm. our program at almost exactly the same rate as mm-hmm. younger people it's like in our boot camp that's eight weeks long, the average person loses 17 mm-hmm. pounds. And I think the average person over the age of 60 loses 16 pounds or something. It's almost <laughs> the same. It's very little difference. And I think that, um, you know, there are slight differences in metabolism for sure. Um, but our program just takes care of that really easily. There's really not a problem with losing weight uh, the older you get, it mm. turns out. How about ex- not right. <laughs> Programs, I'm sure they're having a hard time, but with our program, yeah, so and much. so many other programs put a huge emphasis on on exercise, right? What about that? Right. Yeah. Um, I I teach the opposite of what everyone else teaches when it comes to exercise. I think exercise is one of the biggest reasons that nobody's getting thin, is because they're trying to to do diet and exercise, which is what everyone's 
telling them to do. The problem with that approach is that exercise is one of the biggest willpower depleters <sighs> there is. And so um, trying to get to the gym is basically setting yourself up to break your food plan and to eat a bunch of stuff that's off plan. And you'll easily eat three to five times as much as you just burned off at the gym and not even realize it. You'll, um, you'll rationalize you know, it too, right? You'll go to the gym yes. and then go to Starbucks and get exactly. the fancy yes. coffee and donut. So, but it just worked out. Yeah, that <laughs> is very well documented in the literature. Very well documented. And, you know, the research is very clear on this. Exercise does not help you lose weight. And people balk at this idea all the time. But the research is very clear on this exercise does not help you lose weight. Now, it will help you maintain weight loss once you've gotten thin. Mm -hmm. So what I recommend is that people, and I know people, a lot of people love to exercise, and I'm actually like on my way to the gym mm -hmm. right now. Like I exercise. I, I'm a, so let me just, lest I sound like a moron, let me just say, I know that exercise is good for you. I know that exercise improves your memory, yeah. your attention, your focus, your you know, cognitive faculties across the board. It improves your self-esteem. It improves your sex life. It improves um, your cardiovascular health. Your It decreases your risk for dementia and all forms of Alzheimer's and everything. It, you know, I, I know that exercise is the number one factor that contributes to a happy, long, healthy life. I get it. I'm just saying, while you're setting up a food plan and a way of eating and a way of living that completely swims upstream from everything that society is doing around you. And while you're wiring in habits that absolutely rely on your total focus, breaking all kinds of longstanding cue response behavior associations, while you're setting up that mm -hmm. system, it, give yourself the gift of not, not taking your eye off the ball. Like don't exercise while you're doing that. Just take a few months to get the system dialed in right, because if you try to exercise at the same time, in my experience, it's going to sabotage right. it. Got so it. I recommend that people don't exercise during weight loss. It's, it should Weight loss should be a one and done thing, a short, temporary period of time where you do something you've never done before, which is get all that weight off and keep it mm -hmm. off. And then you can go back to do whatever you want with these amazing new habits wired yeah. in. That's I what like I recommend. That. I like that. How about if you're in a family environment and you're cooking and eating with others and they aren't on that food plan or they don't want to be, but you, you do. Yeah, that's super common. That's super common. It's not, I mean, it's, it's a little harder, but it's not really a big barrier in my experience. You know, um, even the most, um, uh, persnickety family members not going to actually hold you down and pour sugar right. down your throat. Um, so <laughs> You know, as long as you're clear on what you eat and don't eat, I recommend that people do things like if family members insist on having their own snacks, their own whatever, just, you know, have a conversation with them and set up a cupboard, mm -hmm. you know, where they keep that stuff or you have a cupboard where you keep your food or, um, you know, when it comes to dinner time and if you're the family cook, you don't have to cook separate meals. You can just cook everything you're going to eat. We only eat whole real food and bright line eating. So no one can really complain if you're cooking, you know, protein and vegetable and salad. And, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of having whole real fat on the table, whole real, you can cook bread, for, you can set out bread for them. You can make a big pot of pasta for them and you'll just eat the protein, the vegetable and the salad. And you'll, you know, add another dish or something right. for them. Institute for sustainable weight loss. You just started that, right? Yeah. 
we just started it. It's a 501c3 foundation, meaning it's a nonprofit organization, and um, its mission is to investigate and disseminate information about truly sustainable weight loss and and the factors that move the needle on that. And um, what we hope to do in the future is have it something akin to the Templeton Foundation, which is a grant funding organization. We want to, I keep a little list in my smartphone of all the research that's not being done or not being done well in the field of obesity and food addiction mm-hmm. and all that. And um, I want to fund research so that it's it's done well. I'm really sensitive to all of my colleagues in academia who are trying to get funding from the NIH and the NSF, and there's really not enough money mm-hmm. around. Um, you know, the countries come on some harder times, and you know, budgets have been cut, and something like 10% of grant proposals are funded these days, and um, we just need better research being done. So. Um, the Institute, you know, is open to collaboration with academics and other organizations, and we're just interested in partnering with all of the people who really care about the weight of our globe, <laughs> <laughs> of all the people. We're getting globe. heavier. <laughs> and, um, and what it's going to take to reverse that process, because it is getting worse, and it's going to get worse before it gets better, especially overseas. Yeah, um, America's not quite as bad as it will get, but overseas places are catching up fast. Uh, yeah, so, third, third world yeah. countries, cheap calories. What do you do for fun? I I play with my husband and my and yeah, our three kids. Like time. we just we have a great time. Yeah, we go to like a trampoline park. We um you know we ride our bikes. We play with our dog. My husband and I have a great time together. We like to travel with our kids. We like to go to water parks and stuff like that. And I like to play cards. I like to ride motorcycles. I'm kind of a thrill seeker still. I like to skydive oh, and do stuff like that. Right. Well, I like to hike mountains. I love Yosemite and. Yeah, I do lots of stuff. For me. There's not much I dislike, oh, actually. Sounds like it. That's cool. What music did you rock out to this morning on your way to work? Uh, Prince. <laughs> I listen to a lot awesome. of Prince. Love Prince. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. Um, and you just did the Moms Conference, right? Yeah, I love April Perry. She's a very dear friend. As a matter of fact, she's flying to my house in a couple of weeks to help me get organized. I cannot oh, wait. Nice. All right, yeah. Yeah, she's a genius, that woman. Love Perfect. her. Okay, how can we find out more about you and Brightline Eating? Brightlineeating.com, B-R-I-G-H-T-L-I-N-E-E-A-T-I-N-G. And, and the quiz is there, too. So if people are curious where they fall on that susceptibility scale, like how susceptible their brain is to food addiction, um, you know, on a scale from 1 to 10, I'm a 10 plus plus plus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, my husband's a 3. And, uh, you know, and it's a scale from one to 10. So I'm curious, you know, once people know where they fall on that scale, they start to have a sense of what it's going to take for them to live, you know, happy, thin and free in a right sized body and feeling really comfortable in their skin and, you know, healthy for a nice long life. Yeah. So yeah, brightlineeating.com. We got it. We're there. So people, if you're struggling with sugar or food cravings and addiction, check out Susan Pierce Thompson and Brightline Eating. And can we, I think we can pre-order a copy of your book, right? Yeah, you can go to Amazon. It's already there. I'm so excited. But you might want to wait. We've got a pretty special thing that's coming in February for people who want to reorder the pre-order. The book comes out in March, but we, you know, you might do better to just go to my website and sign up for 
you know, take the quiz and get on my email list because we're going to do a pretty special promotion in February that'll give you way more than just the book. Oh, cool. um, so you might want to wait to pre-order. Okay, the book. I'll withhold the link then. You can't <laughs> no access for me just just no yet exactly. Yeah. And I will say I quit sugar for like I think I was telling you 64 days until my mom arrived with cookies for my son, and uh -huh. I went through withdrawals. For the definitely yeah. like I know withdrawals and I went through them for a while with the headache, feeling crappy, probably some pause and everything. And then I started feeling really good. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it, yeah, it felt really good. So I'm going to get back to it. I'm on it. Yeah, I love it. I have faith in <laughs> you. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for awesome. joining and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, James. Great to be here. Thanks so much. Wow, what a great interview. I hope you got some golden nuggets out of that conversation because I know I certainly did. And thanks again for listening. And please, if you haven't already, go over to iTunes or your favorite podcast service and subscribe. Leave us a review. Let me know how I'm doing. I really want to know. Also, head on over to Facebook and join our Recovery Innovators group. It's a free, closed group where you can get your questions answered. You can get accountability if you need it. And maybe you can help provide some support for those in need. We all need a little help from time to time. You can learn more on my website at recoveryinnovatorsradio.com or my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash recoveryinnovators. And just send me a request to join and I'll get you all hooked up. You can also get my free report if you haven't already. Three huge mistakes almost everyone makes when they try to quit drinking or doing drugs that cause them to struggle with cravings and relapse and how to avoid these forever. And lastly... Please feel free to send me an email if you have any questions or thoughts. My email address is james at recoveryinnovators.com, and I personally take the time to read every one I get and respond as soon as I can. I can't wait to hear from you. Thanks for listening. You can learn more at recoveryinnovatorsradio.com. <laughs>